Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. Well, if you will uh, take out your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 9. Um, I, I, as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking of, uh, of two groups of people in particular. Uh, the first is mothers. Happy Mother's Day. All right. <clears throat> this sermon is for you. The other group who this sermon is also for is everyone who has a mother. So... If that's you, um, turn in your Bible to Mark chapter 9. If that's not you, feel free to spend the next half hour or so zoning out. So mothers and those who have mothers, okay? Mark chapter 9, verse 30. We're not off to a great start so far this morning. Everyone awake? All right, here we go. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. It says this, They went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Those are the words of Jesus teaching his disciples and teaching us what it is to be great. I was uh, working on a project this week, and, um, and in order to complete the project, to get to the end of the project, I had to do some uh, online training. I had to get certified in certain things in order to, to meet the end goals of the project. So it was one of those things where you click through screen. Have you ever done this? You click through screens, and they sort of give you information, and you take it in, and then every once in a while, it would stop, and it would, it would give you a quiz, and you'd have to pass the quiz in order to keep going. And you'd click through 20, 30, 40, 60 screens, and, and you'd make your way through. So what I did was I, I, I began the first modules, and I finished them, and I took quiz number one, and I passed it. Okay, good. I did the next series of modules, and I took quiz number two, and I, I passed it. And right about that time, I started to get a little tired of all the, the learning Um, so I sped my way through the next couple of modules, and I thought, I I think I've got the gist of things. I'm just going to try this quiz number three, and I didn't pass it. But then I found out that I could immediately retake the same quiz with the same questions, and they had told me the answers I had gotten wrong. So I took it, and I passed it. Guess what I did from there? I really started speeding through these modules as fast as I could, and I took the quizzes, and I didn't care if I passed them or not because I knew I'd immediately have another opportunity to take the quiz. 
Now, some of you are thinking to yourselves, I can't handle that. <laughs> I've got to get every question right. I've got to know everything. Um, the good news is I'm now certified for brain surgery. So if you need to... <laughs> if it were something like that, that would be a little concerning, right? Like, okay. Um, but, but at the same time, there's knowledge and then there's experience. You need both of those things in order to, um, in order to be fully trained in any one area. And I, I knew that if I got the knowledge, I got the, the, the basic idea of the information, I could move on and gain the experience over the course of my project. Now, I want to suggest to you, and in this passage, I think this is what we're going to find, is that there are a lot of people who confuse Christianity with simply getting the information right about the teachings of Jesus. And, and even if we don't get it exactly right, it's probably okay because Jesus is, you know, forgiving and he's going to give us another chance. We'll probably have another opportunity along the way. Um, aligning ourselves, I want to be clear, aligning ourselves with Jesus' teaching is really, really, really important. But that is not what defines our faith. That is not the substance of our faith. In fact, I think it's our faith that energizes what we understand about Jesus' teaching. It's our faith that energizes our understanding and allows us to live out a holy life that marks us as followers of Christ. And I think if we were to think about this a little more carefully, we would discover that there's one thing in particular, one holy uh, life aspect, one, um, uh, one life-changing activity that we do that marks us out more than any other. And that is our willingness to serve other people. Christ-like service adorns gospel teaching. A servant heart makes the truth of the gospel beautiful to other people. And in this whole section of scripture, this is something that Jesus is trying to explain, especially to his disciples, starting in about chapter 8, the end of the chapter, all the way through chapter 10, Jesus is coming back to his disciples time and time and time again, and he wants them to understand who he is. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ who has come to sacrifice his life on the cross and what his ministry is. So starting in verse 30 and 31 this morning, Mark writes that Jesus and his disciples are passing through Galilee and he didn't want anyone to know that he was there because he was there to teach his disciples. If you'll remember at the beginning of Mark's gospel, whenever Jesus was in town, crowds would gather around him. They would demand his attention. They would look for miraculous touch. They would, they, they would want to just see Jesus. And Jesus has compassion on them. He heals them. He teaches them. He spends time with them. But there are these certain times, and this is one of them, that he wants just to spend a little bit of time, a few moments with his disciples. They've been there for his entire ministry, and they still had so much to learn, and the time is growing short. Now, as followers of Christ, when we read these things, we can see maybe how they misunderstood Jesus, and maybe you and I can learn from Jesus' words and what it means to follow him as he explains and re-explains things to his disciples. So this morning in our passage, I think there's two lessons for us to learn 
And the first is this, I've already kind of referred to it, is that Jesus' teaching is insufficient, at least on its own. And, and maybe I, your head snapped up and I caught your attention there as I said that, but let me see if I can show you from this passage. So in these verses, Jesus is once again explaining that he's going to die, that he's going to rise again to his disciples. In fact, it's the second time in quick succession. A couple weeks ago on Easter Sunday morning, Pete reminded us of that from Mark chapter 8, the end of chapter 8. Remember this? Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter very famously stands up and he rightly calls Jesus the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. And as a follow-up to Peter's confession, now Mark says that Jesus, this is back in chapter 8, told them plainly about what he was going to do, about his messianic role. But they clearly did not understand, especially Peter. Peter and the other disciples are thinking to themselves that Messiah is going to be some kind of political military conqueror. They believed that if Jesus was the Messiah, that as his followers, they could ride his coattails to prominence. That they would be given significant and powerful roles in his administration, if you will. And Jesus immediately corrects that misunderstanding. He tells them differently. He explains, this is still back in chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. He explains that Messiah comes to conquer but he does throw so through his own suffering and his own death. And anyone that wants to follow him should expect the same exact thing. He, this is what he says. He says, if anyone wants to follow him, he should deny himself and take up his cross. He should expect to lose his life. And 2,000 years later, we open that passage and we read those words and we might read them rather metaphorically, but I think if Jesus were speaking to disciples today, he might say something like this, if anyone wants to follow me, he needs to strap himself into the electric chair and be, be prepared to be executed. That's what the cross was. It was dirty and filthy and ugly, and it was a, uh, an instrument of the gov government to carry out capital punishment. Now we turn to today's passage in chapter 9. And Jesus is addressing the issue for a second time with his disciples. Mark records that he's teaching his disciples. I don't know what you think that looks like, but in my mind, uh, Jesus is sitting around with the disciples and he's telling them, turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah. Now, now they don't have Bibles, but they were well-schooled in the scriptures. They probably remember Isaiah. And when Jesus is speaking about his death and his resurrection, he identifies himself as Messiah with the role of Isaiah's suffering servant. He says, uh, service is the thing. Now apparently, we're going to come to find out in a couple of weeks, these two, these two occasions are not enough for the disciples to understand what Jesus is saying. We're going to look at chapter 10, a few weeks in the month of June, and there Jesus speaks about these same things for a third time. And he continues to clarify, he continues to build on the teaching that he's talking about. In fact, if you notice the title of today's message, it's this, let's try this again and again. Because that's what Jesus has to do with his disciples. He has to tell them the same things again and again and again. And 
as we look at this passage, as we look at chapter 10, he's telling them that his identity is messianic servant. And he calls for his disciples to assume the same servant role. Now back to chapter 9, verse 31 in today's passage. Here's what Jesus says. It's the same thing that he said before about the coming events. Very clear. He says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. And we read those words and we, uh, from our vantage point, we totally understand on the other side of the cross what Jesus is saying. But the disciples are confused. Look at how they respond. Verse 32, they did not understand and they were afraid to ask him. Jesus is explaining the most important aspect of his earthly ministry, his death and his resurrection. And the disciples don't get it. And they're afraid. I don't know if you've caught this. I don't know if you've remembered this throughout the book of Mark. But throughout the gospel, Mark has sort of highlighted people's fear a number of times. And as the disciples and other people encounter Jesus' awesome divine power through his miracles, their instinctive response is fear. I'll remind you of a couple things, and I'll put the references up on the screen. Just write them down and look at them later. Chapter 4, verse 41, you may remember Jesus calms the storm. And the disciples, the scripture says, feared a great fear and said to one another, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5, verse 15, Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and this is how Mark records it. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. The, the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, chapter 5, verse 33, she, she knows what has happened to her, and she comes to Jesus in fear and trembling. And she falls down before him and tells him the whole truth. He's dealing with the, at the same time with the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, chapter 5, verse 36. And overhearing the news of his daughter's death, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, he says, do not fear, only believe. Chapter 6, verse 50, the disciples were once again on the sea of Galilee. This time Jesus is not with them. Instead, he comes walking to them on the water and the scripture says they were terrified. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the transfiguration. Peter and the other disciples didn't know how to respond when they were seeing Jesus in his glory. And the Bible tells us it was because they were terrified. And once again, now Jesus tells the people... Um, or tells his disciples, excuse me, this is what's going to happen. And they respond with this fear. There's another response that is very common in the book of Mark. We've seen it time and time again. Jesus teaches about the kingdom of God and the disciples don't understand. Often Mark describes them as having hard hearts. Um, just to name a few. Remember in chapter 4, Jesus is teaching a series of parables and he says that he offers them to, he who has ears to hear will hear them. That's chapter 4. And then 
In the summary of that section, Mark writes this, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He didn't speak to them without a parable. Now watch, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Uh, Chapter 6, verses 51 and 52, right after Jesus has walked on the water, he's talking to the disciples and it says, they were utterly astounded for they did not understand. About the loaves, they they were still contemplating the feeding of the 5,000 and their hearts were hardened. Chapter 8, at the end of the chapter, the disciples are once again coming to that issue of bread, of the leaven of the Pharisees. And Jesus says this, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? And then he returns to this theme that he had already talked about in chapter 4. Having eyes you do not see, this is the disciples. And having ears do you not hear, and do you not remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? They were having a hard time. Then just previously when Jesus had told them about his coming death and resurrection, Mark records this, so they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. What does that mean? The disciples had been with Jesus every step along the way, and yet they did not understand what Jesus had done. They did not understand what he had said. But we've got to give them credit. They knew that it was significant. They knew that it was eternal and divine because they had seen Jesus' power. And they had even confessed Jesus as something supernatural, right? And the same here in chapter 9, verse 32, they do not understand the words of Jesus and they are afraid. Now we know that there is an appropriate fear. There's a reverence for God. The Bible talks about that time and time and time again. But in this instance, what were the disciples afraid of? I'm not really sure. It doesn't tell us. But I, I, I got to imagine that they were afraid of some of the th- same things that the people were afraid of when they witnessed the awesome divine power on the display in Jesus' ministry. Probably some of the same things that you and I fear in our understanding of God. Maybe the disciples are afraid that they're not going to be able to measure up when it comes to the high standards of Jesus. He said, he's going to die. He said, we might die. We better work really hard at this thing in order to prove that we deserve our status as Jesus followers, maybe. And maybe you're the same way. You work hard to prove yourself deserving. You work hard to meet the high standards of of God. You might think something like this, he died for me, the least I can do is work really, really hard to prove that I'm worthy. Here's the truth, you're you're never going to measure up. You're never going to measure up, but the good news is that you don't have to. Jesus went to the cross to make up for our shortcomings. Jesus went to the cross to make up for our sin. Jesus went to the cross because he knew that we could not measure up. 
He died in our place, taking our sin so that we could live and take his righteousness. Jesus measures up so that you don't have to. Maybe the disciples feared the difficulty of following Jesus. Maybe you fear that following Jesus is going to be hard. You know it's going to take, take time away from uh, pursuing those hobbies that you love, pursuing personal fulfillment and happiness. And again, I've got truth for you, and that is this, following Jesus is hard. He makes that very clear, but he also makes it clear that he walks with us through the difficulty. Jesus sustains his followers through it. And as we walk with him, we will experience a fulfillment and a joy greater than anything we could have imagined if we had pursued it on our own. The disciples know the message of Jesus. This is not new material. They listened to his teaching for three solid years, and yet it is not enough for them. Could be that you're here this morning and you know the message of Jesus. You know this passage. You've sat in church for years, maybe even decades. But simply knowing the teaching of Jesus is not enough. Now, it's foundational. You need to know it. But it's not enough on its own. There are many, many, many outside the walls of this church, maybe who used to be inside the walls of this church and other churches, who know the teachings of Jesus very, very well. Unbelievers. The Bible says even the demons know the teaching of Jesus. But without new life that energizes that teaching, it lacks the power in our lives. It's like that little check engine light in your car, right? Now, be honest, it's church. How many people have a check engine light on right now in your car? There's like seven people that are honest right now. You take it for granted. It's just a warning, no big deal. Light's been on for a couple of months, a couple of years. Nothing has gone wrong yet. But if you've ever had engine problems and the mechanic traced it back to the check engine light, you dummy, that check engine light comes on, you're pulling into the first service station that you can find, right? As soon as that ominous yellow glow comes on, it energizes you. It drives you to find the solution. I think Jesus' work on the cross similarly energizes followers of Jesus to implement the teachings of Jesus. Think about this. Before the resurrection, which we're reading about right now, Jesus' disciples knew his teaching. They, they just didn't know what they were going to do with it. Now think about those same disciples a couple of days after the resurrection on the day of Pentecost. They go from these scared, hard-hearted, thick-headed knuckleheads to the most powerful witnesses and preachers in the greatest evangelistic campaign in history. What made the difference? It was Jesus' salvation. And when they received that salvation, Jesus' teaching becomes significant and life-changing and it energizes them. The truths that they knew could never again be taken for granted. They had an 
urgency to do something about it. And the disciples are going to experience this urgency in short order, right? But right now they don't understand it. So they fear and they ignore. They hope it'll just go away, that Jesus will change his mind. And before you know it, in this passage, they start having this conversation. And the conversation is about who's the MVD, you know, MVP. Who's the most valuable disciple, MVD. That's where they go, right, from Jesus' conversation about his death and resurrection. Look at it. This is our second lesson. It's this, to follow Jesus' teaching is to follow his example. If your Bible is like mine, between verses 32 and verses 33, there's a little subheading, but I think it's misplaced. I think it's all part of the same passage. It says, when they get to the town of Capernaum, which they've been traveling to, Jesus asked his disciples what they've been discussing on the road, verse 33. I'll bet you that was an awkward silence. (laughs) Because Jesus knew... And they knew, and they knew Jesus knew. And Mark records it in verse 34. They kept silent for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. I mean, busted, right? They're in trouble. Can't can't you hear the whispered conversation at that point? Um, I'm not going to tell him, you tell him. I'm not going to tell him, you tell him. I know, let's get Peter to tell him. He always says dumb stuff. The disciples had just heard Jesus declare that the way of Messiah was one of rejection and death, and they were still seeking worldly influence and power. The disciples had been doing all the right things, following Jesus. They were just doing them for a lot of wrong reasons. They were following Jesus in part because they believed that he was going to allow them influence and position in the next regime. Instead, Jesus explains a different idea of greatness. If anyone would be first, Jesus says, verse 35, he must be last of all and servant of all. You could almost hear their collective ego balloons deflating. Just... They wanted to be great. And Jesus makes it clear that service is the way to greatness. Service is the way to significance. Service is the way to accomplish something. Service is the way of Jesus. Now I want us to notice what Jesus did not say in that moment. He did not condemn the disciples for desiring significance. He simply redefines what greatness is to them. What significance is. And and here, he, he, he does so with words, but in the very near future, he's going to do so by his example. Here's the radical truth of Jesus. It is not wrong to want significance. Followers of Jesus can be significant. It's just that as human beings, we go about it in all the wrong ways. If, if you want to be a person of of position and significance, Jesus offers these things through humble servanthood. And to illustrate his point, Jesus finds a child and he pulls him over. Now, um, in our culture, a child is often the center of attention. 
maybe you've been around that group of young parents and they sort of stand around in a circle and all their children are at the center and they look at them, oh, how cute, they're so cute. And that's what they talk about. They just kind of focus on that. In this culture, children are off to the side and out of sight. Better to be seen and not heard and better yet to not be seen or heard at all. Children were insignificant. They were an afterthought. But Jesus takes this child and he puts them in their midst and Jesus equates himself, the honored guest, the rabbi, the master, with this little child. He says this, verse 37. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Even more shocking with the child still in their midst, he says that the disciples' treatment of the child mirrors their love for God. Whoever receives a child receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Those who desire to be close to Jesus are called to serve and recognize and love his most humble creatures. Jesus, in his ministry, we've seen it repeatedly. He receives the unclean, the outcast, the outsider, the demon-possessed. He not only teaches the way to greatness as service, but he exemplifies it as well. And Scripture, again and again, affirms servanthood as the central mark of a Christ follower. just want to remind you of these. Mark chapter 10, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cold cup of water. Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 25, he, he says that the, the sheep and the goats will gather and he'll separate them out and he'll say, uh, you know, I was sick and in prison and you visited me and I was hungry and you gave me something to eat and I was naked and you clothed me. And I said, when did we do any of that stuff? And he says this, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. James chapter one reminds us that true, genuine religion is ministering to orphans and widows in their distress and their affliction. Hebrews chapter 13 says that we have the opportunity to entertain angels without even knowing it as we treat others with Christ's love. Jesus takes these expressions of service and he energizes them for his glory. They're going to provide opportunities for you to connect your faith into action and to connect your faith in action into witness to the people that are in your circle. They're going to be watching you. They're going to wonder why you do those things and you're going to have the opportunity to tell them I do them because I'm a follower of Christ. And that's what greatness is. That's what significance is. That's where importance lies. Now, we're reading about the disciples and we expect that once they've heard the words of Jesus, the disciples are going to walk away, they're going to adjust their actions and they're going to respond, right? Well, not exactly. In just a couple of days, we'll look at it in a couple of weeks, the disciples are going to have the same argument and Jesus is going to offer them the same remedial lesson. And you and I are tempted to go, well, those disciples, they're often pretty dumb. and We often have to scoff at them and we would never do the same things. But aren't we very often similar to the disciples? Because human beings, by nature, seek significance. And we do so in a number of ways that promise us greatness. We want to have a great 
career. We want to speak into politics or have a platform on social media. We want our name to be known. Maybe we even do it through good ways. We we put all our time and effort into building our family. Not a bad thing, but that's what we think is going to make our legacy endure. We give ourselves uh, to the church even. And we trust that that institution is going to promote change and provide the ultimate good for society. And some of us think, well, I go, I go to CBC. And CBC is a, a great church with great facilities and more people than that other church down the road. So we must be doing something right. We're pretty awesome. But look, our church only accomplishes great things as we put the teachings of Jesus into the practice, serving each other and serving our community as God has called us to do. Things can be good and still not be ultimate. Jesus says this, if you want to be great, learn to be the servant of all. The way of Jesus is the way of service. Servants don't have time to seek significance. They don't have time to pursue their platform. They are at the beck and call of their master. Jesus may give you opportunities in your career. He may give you opportunities with your family. He may give you opportunities with the church. But in each of those things, he defines your role as his servant instead of seeking significance on your own. So as we talk about the legacy that we're going to leave, we need to be aware of that. There was a man in the 18th century. You've probably never heard of him. His name is mostly unknown. He was a pastor. He was the leader of a religious movement. His name was Count Zinzendorf from the European continent. And he had a motto, and his motto was this, I want to preach the gospel, I want to die, and I want to be forgotten. I want to serve Jesus. That echoes the words of John the Baptist when Jesus came onto the scene. Remember, he was the biggest thing going. He had the biggest ministry, the most numbers, the most notoriety, the most fame. And John, when Jesus comes onto the scene, says this, he must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. The disciples haven't learned this lesson yet, although they will in time. And I wonder for us this morning if we are learning this lesson, or whether we're seeking our own significance. May it be that we are learning this lesson and following Jesus. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask, may we understand your words in a way that allows us to demonstrate our lives as being marked out by your Holy Spirit. Father, may we be faithful to seek opportunities to serve, to serve the least of these. Father, I pray that in doing that, God, that we will be a a, a witness to those around us, to those in our circle. Father, that that we will recognize that um, this this is how your son lived his life. And God, that we will model ours after him. I pray that as we walk out from here, God, that we would, we would do that to your honor, to your glory, and that we would expect that you would uh, save um, uh, 
save sinners because of the opportunity that we have to partner with you in that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.